0: Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week on the show, we talk with Pastor Jonathan Neufeld on the storyline of the Bible. Often we can think of the Bible as a random assortment of sayings and stories, but in reality, it's one story with one purpose.
1: You have the Bible, which has 66 different books, right? Somewhere around 40 different authors over about 1,500 years, right? So you have this this massive, massive scope, and yet it is telling one story all the way through.
0: Hey, it's Isaac here. Hope you're all doing well in this middle of August. Uh, some of you are approaching a new set of classes this September, and perhaps it's almost kind of frightening how quickly it's coming, but I do hope you find some rest in the next, you know, two to three weeks uh, before the busy semester begins. And hopefully, since September can be sort of a type of January in the sense that goals and routines are set, hopefully you'll consider taking Bible reading more seriously since it's in our reading of the God's Word, that we get to know God more. Um, With us this week is a pastor from British Columbia named Jonathan Neufeld. We chat about the fact that the Bible, though it's a collection of various writings, is actually one unified story. And I think that that fact will encourage you and I to not only read it more, but to wonder at its divinity in the sense that God set this thing up. We ask uh, Jonathan also how he would sum up the whole story of the Bible in one sentence, so that's pretty interesting. So here's a conversation with Jonathan Newfeld. With me today is Pastor Jonathan Neufeld. Jonathan pastors in the Lower Mainland and Chilliwack here in BC, Canada. Uh, he's served kind of generally in ministry for the last five years, but he's been in the church for a long time. Um, he's just got his Master of Divinity from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. When was that, by the way?
1: Uh, I graduated uh, just over a year ago. Just over a year ago. Okay, yeah. that's awesome. Uh, it's great to have you with us today in studio. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> who are you?
0: I mean, <laughs> I mean, we know a little bit about who you are, and it's great to have actually someone face-to-face, because usually, yes. <laughs> if you're a regular listener, window, we're usually talking to someone via FaceTime or Skype. But anyways, yeah, tell us a little bit about who you are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you said, uh, I'm a pastor right now in Chilliwack um, at Central Community Church, and I lead one of our uh, campus campuses up in Promontory there. Um, but I'm probably most known to your listeners, at least, because I, because of my relation with Dr. John Newfelt. <laughs> I normally call dad. And there so, you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I obviously grew up a bit of a Christian home. And uh, yeah, I really grew up knowing a lot about the Bible. I grew up, I was the pastor's kid, the sort of, I was the good pastor's kid. You hear about sort of the rebel right, ones, right. you hear about the bad ones. I was really the good one um i was the kid who had all the answers in sunday school mm-hmm. um and so but the problem was especially growing up like i, I just realized i didn't actually believe those things right mm-hmm. like the, those were the things i knew i knew i knew how to act i knew what to say but truth be told i didn't i didn't believe most of those things that i was saying those were just the answers I thought I had to say because I was the pastor's kid. Right. And so at, at least for me, uh, where God really started getting a hold of my life was um, my, my uncle was actually killed in a car accident. And so really suddenly uh, out in Alberta, he was, he was killed. And uh, I remember going to his funeral. And for the first time, I was sitting there going, I could actually die at any point. And I would stand before a God who could actually see through all of my lies, mm-hmm. all the things, all the right answers yeah. I said, but didn't really believe. God could actually see those things. He'd actually know what was all going on there. And so uh, that was really at the point where I realized this was something I either had to make my own because mm-hmm. I had no guarantees I was going to live till 70. And, you know, I, sure. well, then I could do it on my deathbed. Like, no, I, you never really know. And so it really became my own uh, around that time. And okay. so, yeah, that, that's really where I became a Christian, where God really got a hold of my life for myself and then yeah, yeah started leading me into ministry after that. And you're married as well? I am married, yes. May I ask my lovely wife, Corinna. Uh, we're coming up on our seventh anniversary. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: So when you were when you were like a, a PK in a pretty large church yeah. uh, in the Vancouver area, did you have these
1: aspirations like, I want to be just like my dad and preach? You know, it's funny. I actually had the opposite. I never really said, oh, like this is where I'm going to be going. Right. Um, really from an early age, my my dad always would say, because people came up and asked, right? Oh, you going to be a preacher like oh, your dad? Yeah, yeah. Um, Pinch your cheek. Yeah, exactly. Right. So my dad always just say like, you know what? You go into ministry if and only if God calls you. Right? Like it is a calling that God will place on your life. It's not just sort of a decision you do because you know your dad, right, you know, preaches. And so yeah, for me, I, I didn't grow up with that aspiration at all. Yeah. It wasn't until after I graduated, uh, I ended up in a Bible college in Northern Ireland, and uh, that's where God started actually showing me that I could actually understand the Bible for myself. That's awesome. Right. I could read that and I could actually understand what was being said and yeah. I just got so excited. I just came home and was like, "Guys, do you realize like do you realize what's in the Bible? There's so much here." And yeah. really just out of that desire, yeah. out of that sort of joy, yeah. I just started getting involved in different teaching areas. Eventually, pastor said, "Hey, like do you want to give a shot actually preaching? Here we've got a young adults group." And so, you know, I got first little exposures and and through that God was just working in my heart, changing, changing, changing until. Yeah. Finally, I said, you know what, I, God's clearly calling me into That's ministry, so, so I, I just got to go in obedience to what he's yeah, doing here. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So. Anyways, speaking of, I mean, when we read the Bible, today we're talking about the Bible, not just generally, but more specifically, um, how the Bible fits together kind of as a unity, as a story. In fact, I've never really heard uh, an apologetic argument. Maybe there was is one out there. I'm sure there is, but I haven't heard it. For the inspiration, the authority, just the uniqueness of mm-hmm. the Bible— on the basis that it wasn't written by just one person at one time, say for like the Quran was yeah. written just one person at mm-hmm. one lifetime, but this is written over a much, you know, stretches way wider, yet it has one storyline, one yeah. purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, I think that's that's really cool to see that diversity yet unity at the same same time. And we're going to talk about the Bible today. So in a more physical sense though, John, like what is, Jonathan, I should say, <laughs> what is the more, what is what is the, the Bible kind of in its more physical sense because some people just think it is one book like the Quran that was just right. one sacred writing but yeah
1: yeah yeah it's interesting you bring up the Quran because the Quran as you said one author and yet actually doesn't have a narrative within it right each of the surahs are very distinct within the Quran mm. whereas actually you find almost the exact opposite in the bible you have the bible which has 66 different books right somewhere around 40 different authors over 1,500 years, Mm -hmm. right? So you have this this massive, massive scope. And yet, as you've just said, like it is telling one story all the way through. Through all these other different little stories that are going on, God is revealing one giant narrative to his people. And so it's just this amazing really work that God is working through. And so, you know, we have all these different authors and yet there's really one author. Yeah, God is the one who has inspired his word, is working through. So, you know, Peter second Peter chapter one, right? Holy spirit is the one who's actually been right. carrying all of these authors along. He is the one who's actually writing this, crafting this whole yeah. thing together. That's so
0: cool. Yeah. And it's just amazing though, because you think of, you know, something like Leviticus, this, mm-hmm. this book that these are the laws for Israel at the time. And then you have this, you have this letter written from Paul in prison to Philemon, very specific about yeah. receiving, you know, this slave back. And these two things somehow fit together, and this yes. is this is a huge timeline <laughs> difference. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people, though, they do see the Bible not like that, or even if they do see it like that, they still see it as just various mm. stories, various um, sayings. So, you know, they think of Proverbs, there's all these, just like, one-offs, and, mm. you know, David and Goliath, and Noah's Ark, and all these different things, just sort of all bits and pieces kind of thing. Yeah. I'm wondering if you could help us, and you can spend some time here, help us sort of unsee the Bible that way especially for a lot of us that grew up in the church, because sometimes it can just happen that way. Yeah, Um, Help us unsee that and help us see it more as a unity. And I guess the Mm. question is, is there that one storyline? And what is that storyline from Genesis to Revelation?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's definitely common in the church that you kind of have, well, we pick out this little verse and this little verse and this little verse and this little verse. And we, we think, well, OK, I guess the Bible is just, you know, like a sack of marbles, right? You can kind of pick one out. Oh, look, that's nice and put it back. <laughs> and, and there's nothing really unifying all of it. Whereas um, I, I think sort of a helpful analogy is to sort of see, you know, it's it's as if you're kind of walking down this this giant trail through the forest, right? God has this this one storyline he is telling and yet there's all these little paths off to the side that kind of give you a new perspective, right? Some take you up really high, you can see this grand picture of what God's doing. Mm. Some some bring you down real low, bring you into this the grit of what God is of redeeming us out of. And so you have all these different things that are going on, but ultimately it's driving one whole story. And so mm. Uh, I think it's tricky to try and put <laughs> everything God has said into into one. Absolutely, right? and totally. That, that's where, oh yeah, that's where even the scholars are like all over. The, well, not all over the place, but there's definitely you know different ways of of trying to say, well, this is what it's all about. This is what right. it's all about. But I think I think it's easy to say, you know, the Bible is really the story of God working in his creation to redeem fallen humanity, right? Like Mm. that is the the overarching, the global sort of storyline that gets told. So lots of people say it in different ways, but sort of this creation, fall, redemption, and restoration theme, right? That that the big sweep of what's going on uh, really starts, yeah, all the way in, in Genesis, yeah. starts with God creating this, this place, Adam and Eve, to be these image bearers to spread the glory of God throughout the whole world. And of course, by chapter three, we have that already breaking down, right? right? right. Adam and Eve say, no, nope, I want to do it my way. I care more about my own, you know image right. on earth and so that gets broken a curse gets given but even as God gives the curse he gives a hope right there hmm. right so I mean you can almost say in Genesis yeah Genesis 3 you have a snapshot of what everything else is going to do hmm. right you've got this picture of Eden you have humanity sinning and starting to fight already amongst themselves right right, right, right? right. Adam and Eve only two people there and they're already blaming one <laughs> another as soon as as soon as sin enters the world God saying there's a curse, but there's also a hope right. right there there is a hope that's coming there's one who will crush the head of the serpent right and so right there you you see starting off what the storyline's going to look like yeah. and so then really the rest of the Bible is that starting to get played out right. in different ways and different people. That's the storyline that God is is working. And ultimately, it comes the redemption in right. Jesus, right. right? Jesus comes to be that one who will crush the head of the serpent. Right. Right. And then it looks forward and says, and now there is still coming a greater restoration, a glorification. We will one day have eternal life with God. And so that's really sort of this, this grand narrative. Yeah. And yeah, it, it gets broken down more and more. As as you go, mm-hmm. and God begins to give little hints as to right. what, what is that restoration going to look like. And yeah. so throughout the Bible, you, you get these different, I, I would say, covenants form a very helpful backbone. So I'm using language that I'm taking from (laughs) Dr. Wellam, Dr. Gentry. They were my professors. Sure, sure. They wrote a book, and it it was just very helpful for me. So there's sort of this backbone, this sort of main storyline you see in these covenants that God makes with his people. Mm -hmm. So you see that with Adam and Eve. You see Noah, right? He's sort of this this new Adam, right? God Hmm. wipes the planet clean and says, all right, Noah, you get to do it. Is Noah going to be the one to be able to actually bring back peace? Not quite. Not quite. He's drunk by the end of it, yeah, right? Like, yeah, totally. very quickly. Yeah, interesting. The, yeah. the human partners are the ones who are breaking down. God makes right. these promises, makes these covenants with his people, and it's the human partner that, that can't quite uh, actually fulfill what God is promising. So you see right. the same thing with Abraham, right? Very famous covenant God makes with Abraham says, I'm going to make you into a people. You're going to be a blessing to right. all the nations. And so, Abraham, go be this blessing. And, and you see hints of that, right? Abraham, he's interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. come on, you know, if there's just, you know, how about five less? How about just, just <laughs> five less? Right? And you see this, and yet Abraham's also a liar, mm. right? He, he's also fallen. He's also not actually fulfilling everything God is calling him to do. You see hints of it. But it's not the fullness yet. Right, right. Right. And you can go on. Next covenant you see there is with with Israel, right? So Israel's Abraham's descendants. Yeah. They are, you know, the physical offspring. And so God calls them out of Egypt, says, All right, you are going to be this this holy nation, this royal priesthood. You are gonna be this nation, set among the nations, go out, mediate between them and God, bring them into this relationship. And I mean, Israel's a mess, <laughs> yeah. right? Like that's, yeah. that's what God calls them to do. And yet they're not even close to actually doing any of that. They, yeah. they are just constantly falling short. They're caring about themselves. They're abusing their own poor people, right? There's mm. all sorts of problems. And so God says, well, okay, I told you there was covenant curses as well as those covenant blessings. And so he takes them out of the land. Right, mm-hmm. it says, I put you in this land to be this priesthood to the nations. You didn't do it. All right. I'm taking you out. Right? And so you see this constantly. And so, I mean, same with David, right? God makes a covenant with David. I'm There's going to be one, your offspring. He's going to come. He's going to bring blessing to all the nations. He's going right. to have this eternal kingdom. He's going to make a house for God's name. Yeah. And you see this again and again and again, and he doesn't fulfill it, right? Solomon comes in. He, oh, he's building a house for God. It he's looks, the one. He looks good. And then he doesn't fulfill it, right? The end of his life, he's falling away. And so you see this pattern again and again Mm -hmm. and again. God makes these promises, makes these covenants, and yet it's the human side that can't fulfill what's coming up until we get to Jesus Christ. Finally, here is now God made man who will fulfill all of these covenants, who can be, right, the better Abraham, the next Adam, the true Israel, the greater son of David. And you see this theme again and again. Jesus is the one who can actually fulfill all these promises, Mm. this blessing to all the nations. And that's really what we see. He's the one who brings in this redemption, all the curses of sin, all the 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 muck and the mire that they go mm-hmm. through, he's the one who actually changes hearts. He's the one who actually redeems us from the curse of sin so that we do have this hope. We do have this future right. in eternal life with him, right? And so... All of it, all of it is this story of redemption, and it's all focusing on Jesus Christ, right? The Old Testament, it's it's providing us this background. What is going to come? Here's all these promises, but we don't see them coming. We don't see them coming until finally Jesus comes on the scene, right? And, you know, you've got John John the Baptist says, you know, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Like, this is the one. We've been waiting for him. This is finally the true one who will bring a new covenant that will actually last, an eternal kingdom, all of these things that we have been talking about, looking for, longing for. And so really, that's the storyline that we see throughout the whole Bible, God working redemption. And so it's just, if if you start to miss that theme, right, you actually break everything else apart. You can't understand all the different aspects of what goes on. All the, all the stories become just meaningless stories unless they're connected into this thing that God is doing, right? And that's where I think we get into trouble because we'll, we'll read these independent stories, David and Goliath, and, and we say, well, okay, I mean, that's a cool story of courage, or is this God at work to defend his people through a greater Messiah who is yet to come? Right? Like mm-hmm. that, if we start missing that, we we can get ourselves into all kinds of trouble, yeah, right. That's so good. So, yeah, we it's, uh, it's yeah. an important thing to know
0: absolutely. That's so good. And thank you. like that's yeah, that was very, very helpful. i, I so many questions that <laughs> come from that though, I'm yeah. like, so yes. one of them though, you said at the very beginning, and I just you don't have to go into too much length here, but, you know, when you say that Adam and Eve's purpose as image bearers was to go and fill the earth with the glory of God, mm, yeah. What is what does glory kind of mean? Because I feel like that, mm. that I know that's kind of a big question, yeah, but maybe it's a not question. a big question. But you know, if the whole purpose is for God to be glorified by us imaging him, wh- what can we understand to be God's glory?
1: Oh, yeah. No, that, that is a good question. Yeah. <laughs> and that, I think that's a big question. It is a big question. Um, first of all, it's just, it's a display of who he is, his character, his being, right? So especially, you know, when you have Adam and Eve outside of sin, I mean, that takes on a, an amazing thing of the purity of God, his love, right? His relationship with him. And really, when we talk about, you know, especially, yeah, Garden of Eden and God at rest with humanity it's this it's this notion of peace of god in this relationship and so we give glory we give honor praise we reflect who he is and mm. he becomes sort of this ultimate uh end mm-hmm. and it's not on us and so it it comes into who god is it's a that's display good. of his character and that's there's my nutshell answer. No, I there's love it. more. To <laughs> no, for sure.
0: But you <laughs> know, in, in our time though, I I, mm-hmm. I have other questions. I want to know yeah. why, why didn't Jesus come right after, you know, mm-hmm. Genesis three? Like why yeah. all this? There's so many other questions, but yeah. whatever. We'll say those for a different time. But you, you sort of said this at the beginning, but if you were to, you know, sit with someone on the bus and they asked mm-hmm. you what the Bible was about, yeah. what would you, because the, the first thing you said was, you know, the idea of God redeeming, creation i guess yeah. in one sense mm-hmm. but how would you if someone said like and they're about to get off like what yeah. would you say like this is what the bible's about
1: <laughs> right uh, yeah i mean that's always a tough situation when it you've is got a tough one st- one sentence Absolutely, or whatever yeah right but to um it, it essentially it, it's going to be about how god um how god deals redeems us from sin it right? okay. takes us out of that. Now, that, that's something that needs so much more explanation. Sure. So, I mean, if, if I can take just like a minute or two, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll usually actually say the whole Bible is the story of the gospel. So, mm-hmm. if you can share the gospel, you can share what the Bible is really about, right? So, I usually say this in my mind. I have four sort of hooks that I use to tell the gospel. It's God, man, Christ, and response. And really, that, that's what the Bible is all about. It's about God, who he is, what he has done. It's about who we are right that we have fallen that we have fallen short of what he has called us to do who we have called us to be that we've actually rebelled against him and in fact there's a curse against us right that there is a punishment that's coming an accounting for our deeds but the good news is that Jesus has come that he has actually died in our place and that in fact that for those who respond in faith who put their trust in him repent believe that we will have eternal life right that's the story of the bible It's the story of... It's the gospel. It's the gospel, right? It's not not unintentional that that story is really what we are called to proclaim, is really the whole counsel of God.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's the whole counsel of God. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's obviously Paul talking to the Ephesian elders and he's like, I'm not guilty of any of your blood because the fact that I have faithfully preached the whole counsel of God. And, And kind of thinking that if the story of the... The Bible, this whole kind of grand gospel story of the yeah. Bible, um, is, is so important to grasp. Um, would you agree? And I'm sure, this is almost dumb. Of course you agree with this, but I guess the question should be: How can we shape our whole lives under that story? So I, I think the last kind of question I have for you is like: How do we immerse ourselves in the story of of the gospel?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, for really for us to be shaped by it, it means we need to know it. Uh, it It maybe sounds obvious or Mm -hmm. or simple, but to simply be reading our Bibles. um, I I think so often we get caught in this sort of, well, I read the little parts I like, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, I can sort of pick out the nice little bits, but if we want our lives to be shaped by the whole thing, we actually need to know the whole thing. We need to be going through it and actually start seeing these these grand narratives, grand stories that are in the Bible. So I think of, um, you know, 2 Timothy 3.16, where Paul says, you know, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for training, correction, proof and training in righteousness. Yeah. And so this idea that Actually, Paul is talking there about the Old Testament, yeah. right? He, he's not—it's <laughs> right. not specifically about the New Testament there. Yeah. He has in mind all of the Old Testament scriptures. Yeah, and I think we tend to ignore that as New Testament believers, right? We, we tend to, to stick with where we like, and actually that, that leaves us sometimes with a deficient understanding of everything God has yeah. done right? And so we need to actually have this sense of, I actually know what's in Leviticus. I know what's in Deuteronomy because, by the way, Deuteronomy is an amazing book. It's (laughs) it's almost like reading the New Testament the way Moses (laughs) talks, right? Because he's talking to Israel. Here you have the law. Be changed in your hearts. Might you actually follow God from the heart, not just as this legalistic obedience? Anyways, (laughs) So we need to actually have this full-orbed thing. And so I think part of the reason, you know, we get these Bible reading plans and we start off, you know, in Genesis and we're loving it. It's great. Genesis is fantastic. Exodus, we're cruising through. We get halfway and we're going, oh, now we're (laughs) we're talking about the temple and it's getting a little tougher. And then we hit Leviticus and we're just dying.
0: Yeah, (laughs) totally. Absolutely. We're we're
1: getting swamped in all these details. Sometimes it's really refreshing. Take big chunks, right? Just to take like five chapters at a time. Just read. That way you're not spending a month in Leviticus. You're spending a week. Right? And you go, oh, actually, I, I can start seeing these bigger themes mm. that develop. Yeah. Right. Sometimes we, we get so focused on, you know, I'm going to read one chapter, I'm just going to read one verse, right? And that that can be good. Yep, I, I'm absolutely. all for like meditating on Scripture, really soaking in it, but there's also times to say like, I need to understand everything. I yeah. need to get those bigger pictures. Yeah. And so just to actually be reading in a bigger way, f- helping, helping actually, you know, as we're going through, especially the Old Testament get some helpful commentary, get a study Bible, Mm -hmm. right? ESV study Bible, the new NIV study Bible, really, really helpful to put some of those bigger themes together that we can actually, you know, be applying them and actually do it well that it's not just sort of, yeah, moralistic obedience or something like that, right? Uh,
0: You know, as you say that I I have two encouragements to people and this I'm speaking to myself as well, but I feel like sometimes we as Christians can, we, we should be viewing the Bible differently than other books, but at the same time, just read it as well, you know? And I know there's one guy, Peter Kroll, uh, from Disciple Makers down in the States, and every, you know, uh, January, he just, before he reads any other book, he'll just read the Bible. So just right away. So he's not doing a plan every day, like he's just reading the Bible. He'll just read it, you know, and he'll have it done in whatever, February, March, something like that. Mm -hmm. And then he'll go on to his other reading. And I think that's really helpful. And the other helpful thing is that I remember thinking I was very smart a couple of years ago, (laughs) doing some math on how, you know, how long it takes to actually read the mm. books of the Bible and I I came up with, you know, 44 out of the 66 books of the Bible mm. can be read in under an hour if you're an average reader. There you go. So I'm like, that's a huge chunk of the Bible, 44 out of the 66 books you can read in under an hour. And a lot of those is like about for like, you know, maybe 45 minutes. So it's mm-hmm. like you can watch a Netflix show and enjoy that with your family, but or you can like literally get a whole letter that Paul wrote to a church exactly. or or yeah. whatever what have you. So I think that's really helpful, but anyways, do you have any last things that are just kind of in your mind that you kind of want to say about this before you wrap it up? Yeah,
1: yeah. I I would just say just learn to genuinely love the Word of God. Mm. Just just love, soak into it all the the complexities, all the oddities that you find in the Bible. God put those there so that we might actually get to know Him, that we might Mm. love Him, Right. All the, the 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 stories that weave together to give us this, this grand picture of what God is doing and God has done in the world gives us such great hope, great confidence in eternal life. Right? God has been faithful in the past, He will continue to be faithful in the future. I just think the more we soak in that, the more we the more we revel in that glory. It's just fantastic, right? gives us such confidence mm-hmm. in our walk with God.
0: That's so good. Well, thank you so much, uh, Jonathan. I appreciate you coming out here and talking with us today, so thanks. Thank you. That was Pastor Jonathan Newfield from the Lower Mainland in British Columbia, Canada. You know, when considering the Bible and particularly reading it and meditating on it, I think it's also important to know that in our reading of the Bible, we actually are satisfied, we're happy. There is this true satisfaction when we read the Bible. Let me just read Psalm 1, this incredible poem in the Bible. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, the Bible, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Notice how strong someone is that delights or is satisfied in the words of the Bible. You know, it's encouraging, especially in a culture that celebrates inconsistency, yet inside longs for stability and firmness. It's encouraging to see that in the Bible we find our strength, we can actually stand, we can be like that tree planted by streams of water. Hey, if In Doubt is a charity that you'd consider financially donating to, Uh, That would be so awesome. We rely on God who provides for us in terms of money through the donations of generous people across this nation who've really felt led by God to give. And if that's you, uh, it's really easy to partner with us. Just click the donate button and follow the simple instructions at indoubt.ca if you live in Canada or indoubt.com if you live in the States. Remember to connect with us online this week on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you and share our posts to get the word out. That would be awesome. Well, I'm Isaac, and next week we chat with pastor and author Casey Fritz from Patrol, which is a Christian children's book company, but it's really for adults too. We talk about the importance of storytelling when it comes to our faith and evangelism. You won't want to miss it. See you then.